This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This podcast is brought to you by Tethered. If you're looking for an elevated hunting system that is light, mobile, customizable with molly attachment systems, and above all else is extremely safe, then you need to check out the Tethered Mantis Saddle and the Predator Platform. I took the plunge last year and have been using both the Mantis Saddle and the Predator Platform and haven't looked back since. What I love about the Mantis Saddle is how lightweight it is and also its versatility in terms of adding different sys haulers and, and so forth to to the saddles who help me kind of carry any type of uh, climbing aiders or tethers or lineman ropes. Um, I'm, I'm basically able to walk in if I really wanted to with just my saddle and my platform and, and of course my bow and, and I'm ready to hunt. So super light, super mobile. The Predator platform is just, for me, was the most comfortable way, and especially for anyone out there who might be new to saddle hunting, it was probably the most familiar way for me to get into saddle hunting, as it's a smaller platform, so just kind of imagine a smaller version of a of a hang-on tree stand, um, which gave me that little bit of familiarity that I was looking for as I made the transition from tree stand to saddle hunting, and now um, I can't believe that it took me this long to actually get into saddle hunting. So if you think being more mobile or lighter will help you in the deer woods, head over to tetherednation.com, check them out and learn more about all their products. This podcast is also brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. If you dig coffee and you dig conservation, you'll want to check out Skull Brew Coffee at skullbrewcoffee.com. We also recently just launched an Ethiopia uh, Harar Light Roast, which is primo for cold brew. So you might want to check that out given the uh, the record-setting temps that we have. So avoid the hot coffee, rock the cold brew with Skull Brew Coffee. Hello and welcome to the Truths from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 130. Today, John and I are talking optics with Mike Lilligren of Maven Optics, so stay tuned.
All right, all right. What is going on, everyone? Hope you're all having a good time out there. Happy Wednesday to you. We're another week closer to whitetail season. It's been crazy hot lately, so I'm not sure how many of you out there braved the uh, the freakish temperatures to, to do whitetail work. Those of you that did, hats off to you. Those of you that didn't, like me, I, I assume you stayed in a cool place or in a body of water somewhere to, uh, to combat the heat. I actually had plans to go out and hang one more trail camera with my buddy Tom, uh, Tom Titlow, um, which he wussed out on me. And, uh, I was all ready to go to hang these cameras in this, uh, in this piece of, uh, in this chunk of timber, but he, no, I'm just kidding. We both kind of wussed out. I'm just talking smack on him. If he's listening to this, I'm sure I'll get a, get a text message, but nothing too crazy happened. Of course, it's the week back, uh, from, from vacation. So I really just kind of dove into work and was grinding through that. Still making my way through the book that I've been reading and started just doing a little bit of, uh, from the last camera pull that I did, starting to do a little inventory of my trail camera pictures. You know, in the past, I've used some tools and stuff to kind of help me out. Um, you know, this year because I have so many parcels that I'm I'm working with. You know, six if I'm not counting you know any of the private pieces back home on any of our family properties, and it's just a lot to keep track of. Um, so this year I've used it in the past, but I'm I'm actually using um, a Deer Lab this year um, to keep track of everything. So I started loading. Um, you know, my pictures into the Deer Lab platform so I could start to tag them and, and keep track of what bucks I'm, you know, am, am considering shooters, um, you know, and, and figuring out, you know, what wind directions they're liking to use, what time they're traveling. Um, it's really cool technology if you've not checked it out. Um, you know, I've used it, I guess I used it roughly three-ish years ago, and every year since I've kind of played around, uh, played around with it. Um, didn't have a full need necessarily for it in the, in the past because I really just didn't have enough parcels to keep, uh, to keep track of. Uh, but this year with the amount of property that I'm going to be hunting, um, I needed something to kind of help keep me, help keep me sane and keep me on, on track and making sure I'm making the the right moves, just adding some additional data points. Um, if you've never played with it, it does stuff like heat mapping and stuff like that will show you, you know, how frequently certain deer are showing up at certain places, wind direction, barometric pressure for a given deer. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty impressive and, and, and all encompassing. And I do enjoy using it to try to keep my bearings about me. Um, and you know, cause the, just being uh, completely transparent and honest, the old memory is not what it once was. So it's, uh, it, it sometimes fails me and I'll, and I'll forget, um, you know, if, if there's a deer that had been, you know, coming through at a certain time, I, I might be off by a half hour or an hour if there's a, I might have the wrong, wrong wind direction in mind and, and so forth. So this kind of is a nice way for me to do a quick check, um, you know, to make sure that I'm, I'm keeping, uh, everything in order and crossing my T's. And dotting my eyes. I also went out this weekend. I did go out and brave the heat uh, on Saturday. and did a little shooting. It was good to get out and shoot some long distances. Uh, went out super early. It was ridiculously hot. Um, I think you know, we were in the timber, so we were in the shade. But it was still getting close to 90-ish degrees in, in the morning. I think we started shooting around 730 and wrapped up by 1030. But I did that with my buddy. Of course, the bow hunting fiend, um, and then uh, our, my buddy Wilson joined us as well. And then we actually have a couple new podcasts that will be coming out. Some of the uh, DIY report mini series, you know, the look back series that we've been doing. Uh, so you know, Greg and uh, Wilson and I recorded a few more of those. So you'll have those that will be forthcoming in not so distant future. But I'm not going to belabor this up front, front a whole lot here. Um, have a cool show today. We have Mike Lilligren on uh, from Maven Optics. So Mike is, of course, you know. John is uh is is pretty familiar with Mike Mike and, and friends with Mike has known him for a little while. Uh, John does some uh some work with Maven uh, as well. Um, John of course uses Maven Maven Optics and so and, and my buddy Chad uh, Sylvester uses them as well. And so I've I've had a chance to use their glass like 
you know, periodically. And uh, I have, you know, what I've mentioned on the show here, I have that Western hunt, not this fall, but next fall it's coming up. And in the past when I went West, you know, I was hunting with a buddy of mine who, you know, he lives in Montana and he has all the requisite gear to go out and do elk and, and mule deer hunts and, and so forth. And so whenever I was getting all my supplies that particular year, you know, he recommended to me, he was like, hey, listen, you don't need to get a spotting scope or anything. I'm going to, you know, I've got that covered. It's not something you need to pick up. So I didn't. So now, you know, fast forward to next year, my dad and I are headed out west together um he doesn't have a spotting scope i of course don't either and so i'm kind of been looking around now preemptively before you know that way i'm not making last minute decisions and trying to figure out what exactly um i'm going to do from a spotting scope uh, scope perspective also just in the sense of you know the binos i have and so forth you know what really wanted to understand glass better and how i guess in what use cases certain types of features are most desirable, I guess is one way to put it. And I'll be the first to admit, I don't know a whole lot about glass. I kind of look through it and I'm like, yep, I can see closer. I can see something from 300 yards or 400 yards away. It looks like it's closer. seems like it's working to me. Um, but there's a whole lot more that goes into it. And I wanted to get smart on it. That way I understood uh, whenever I was starting to dive into this world and picking what I was going to be purchasing next, that I would have a better idea of what I was looking for and you know, what the price point differences are. The unique thing about Maven, you know, similar to Exodus is that they are a direct to consumer only company. And so it allows them to kind of put their money back into their products. So whenever you buy their products, you might be paying, you know, whatever the price point is, $300, $400, something like that. But you're getting the quality product of something that if you bought it retail would probably retail for around seven, eight hundred dollars, so almost twice as much. So without further ado, we'll go ahead and get Michael the Green on. I hope you guys enjoy the show and we'll talk to you all soon. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today, John and I are joined. Now, we already had a dry run here with this because we had a little technical issue. And by technical issue, I mean I forgot to hit the record button. Um, <laughs> we're joined by Mike Lilligren of Maven Optics. How's it going, man? I'm doing great. Doing great. Good, man. Glad to have you. So thanks for making some time to chat some uh, chat optics with you. Are you calling in from uh, Wyoming, is it? I am. I'm in sitting in a beautiful, sunny Wyoming. Nice. Yeah. So what, uh, it's a, give me a little, I'm, I'm usually envious of folks that live out West, man. Cause you guys kind of get the, the good weather this time of year where it's not so like humid and, and ridiculously hot. Although today wasn't too bad. So what's the, what's the weather in Wyoming these days? So it's actually uh pretty pleasant outside right now. It's about uh 78 degrees, probably about uh 10% humidity, which is humid for us we're we're thinking why the heck is it not dry out but uh we've had so much moisture this year it's been crazy i mean the mountains the snow in the mountains is still about 150 percent of normal wow and uh but the rivers are flowing strong and the weather's clearing up everything's very green so nice good yeah. weather yeah i think john no got complaint. all the, i think john got all the precipitation that uh that either of us would need for this year i got yeah actually well they just said something uh, i talked to one of my neighbors I wasn't here in Iowa for the big uh, flood of 93 and this is like a legitimate thing. You know, they've got the big totem pole that's got the markings on it and stuff like that. Yeah. Right. They said that we were, have received more rain this year than any year that they've recorded it. And I think they've been doing it for like a hundred years or something like that. Um, wow. Insane. It's, wow. it's been nuts. Yeah, I, I just I keep seeing pictures of people trying to put their food plots in in the Midwest and like they're just basically burying their ATVs in the mud <laughs> in the middle of a field right. somewhere, you know, which is. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. 
I know we had plenty of, but I did. So this is what I'm taking from it. This is the silver lining I'm taking from it. This is probably a complete myth, but I have read somewhere where folks have said out West and maybe, maybe Mike, maybe you might be the guy to talk to about this, but I've heard folks from the West say that in really, really wet years, it seems like the elk pack on more bone in wet years. And so I think people are trying to adopt that here in the Midwest and in the East for, uh, for whitetails. So I'm going to ask you to be the the myth buster here. Do you, do you notice if it's a wet year, if the elk actually pack on more bone every year, those years? So, I mean, I, I, I am probably not the best one to ask. And, and only because I am a relatively, by any Wyoming standards, a relatively new hunter. Right. Um, and what I mean by that is I've only been hunting for uh, about 20 years. Right. And um, so, and and I am a remarkably unsuccessful elk hunter. So what and what I mean by that is I've killed one elk. Right. So um and and now I've been hunting for twenty years and really only ten of those were elk hunting years. Right. But still one elk and ten. So I, what I say is I don't have enough evidence to give you firsthand information. Now right. of course all of the people who are tuned into this podcast just tuned out. They're like, <laughs> why would I listen to an optics guy that has such crappy elk hunting? you know, record, but, um, but what I can tell you is I thought, you know, I talked to a lot of game and fish people. I talked to a lot of other hunters and moisture is the number one driver of, um, of the, of the size of the animals, the the mass of the animals that people are pulling out, plus the overall success that, that people are seeing overall. So you're talking about packing more bone. You're probably talking, I, I assume you mean antlers, right? Um, this is, this is a term that, you know, that, but yeah, the, the, the overall health of the animals is, of the herd is stronger. So we're going to see more large bulls during these, these moist years. Um, they're more successful. So we have a lower death rate. So they're more healthy. Now the number two driver though, is our spring weather, because we can get some horrendous spring weather that can kill off, um, a lot of animals. But yeah. this year we haven't had that. So this year we've had a ton of good moisture. We had a really mild spring. Um, you know, not a lot of late season storms that were that were horrendous. So yeah, it's my my. Uh, my I'm going to say even though I did not draw the tag that I put in for, and and there's a lot of angry people in this office for this, for the for that we had a kind of a group tag in a nice area out of here. Um, I'm going to say it's going to be a banner year for elk hunting in Wyoming. We're going to pull out some big animals, even though we're hunting general. Nice. So, That's awesome. Um, yeah, it's going to be awesome. So, it's, so what you're saying is it's basically a bummer that I didn't that I didn't plan to come out west this year, essentially. <laughs> well, you know, the problem is it, it's a lot harder uh, for um, it, it's a lot harder for out of state uh, draws anyway. Yeah. Your uh, your uh, applications are due in January. Yeah. And uh, so you have to make a call way early but yeah it was probably a huge mistake yeah, yeah but, i'm sure the big bull that was just waiting out here for you that you would have guaranteed drive yeah. <laughs> is gonna go to someone else exactly i can't complain too much <laughs> though because I, I did draw an iowa tag and we'll be hunting with with johnny utah here in the uh in, oh, nice. in november yeah so i'm looking pretty that's fantastic i'm looking forward to that so that'll be cool but Without further yeah. delay, you know, we've been talking here for a little while and, and you work, of course, you're with Maven, Maven Optics. Um, but I want to get a little bit of background about you. So if you yep. wouldn't mind, you know, as we get started here, just give me a little bit of background about yourself, what you do professionally, where you're from, and then, you know, what you've been doing yeah. you know, in the in the hunting world. Sure, sure, sure. So I, uh, um, I'm a, 
I grew up as an army brat traveling all around the world and, uh, and settled into, uh, South Dakota in, in, uh, and then found my way to Wyoming. I always say I'm not from Wyoming, but I got here as fast as I could. Um, I, uh, I moved here in 1995, oddly enough to become a, because I was a semi-professional rock climber and the town I live in is a big rock climbing town. Um, but interestingly enough, because I was, uh, did a lot of expedition rock climbing, I had a lot of experience with outdoor products. Um, I, I worked in some time in retail and, and got a job uh, with an outdoor company in 2000 uh, being a product manager. Um, and what that with that company, I started in, I grew up as a shooter. My, my, both my parents are NRA instructors and we, we killed a lot of paper, but never hunted hmm. oddly enough growing up, even in South Dakota where, you know, the bird hunting's fantastic. Right. The, the deer, the deer hunting's awesome. Um, it, I just never did any of it and which is strange, but got into the outdoor industry and started hunting and really just fell in love with it. So, um, primarily antelope, uh, started chasing elk around, um, in 2000 and then, you know, also went out, shot birds and about anything else that I could get my hands on. Uh, you know, a, a license for, we'd get out and, and try to try my hand at it. Turkey, I love turkey hunting. Um, so yeah, so that so as I, I, I was kind of a troublemaker in a product. I started out product management of, of more camping gear, but um, I had big mouth and it was relatively organized. So I became a director of product development for this company, that company, uh, Brunton, uh, and traveled around the world developing a lot of products, including their optics line. Mm-hmm. Um, and I met two guys while I was working there. Uh, one was the head of design and, and creative and marketing. Uh, named Brendan Weaver. Another guy was uh, in charge of logistics and sourcing, and that was his name was Cade Mastis. And Cade and Brendan and I uh, became friends. We Brunson uh, went through a series of buyouts where they were, you know, you see it all over the outdoor industry right, where yeah. a big corporation buys a small company and then they take it in some unknown new direction. And uh, we weren't happy with where that was going. It was the the company was doing okay, and we you know, we were we were doing well within the company, and making good livings, and but it just wasn't what we believed in, and uh, we also so we you know, started kind of commiserating, uh, sitting around a campfire, drinking beer, talking about what how we would do it if you you know because we're bigger and smarter than everybody else, right? right so right. if they just li- if they just listened to us, <laughs> everything would be okay, and so we realized that we had some vision for some new ideas, and so. In 2008, just absolutely perfect time uh, timing, we split off and decided to start a company, um, our own independent company. And of course, everybody knows what happened to the economy then. Um, it was a heck of a roller coaster. But Brendan and Cade and I have been riding it strong together uh, since 2008. So um, it's been a it's been a heck of a ride. We the first company we started was not Maven. We uh, we started a company that did uh, that did, uh, we uh, did developed private label products for people. Okay. So what that means is like a, a duffel bag or a tent or a fly rod or whatever that your little store, say Joe's uh, outdoor store, would have Joe's logo on it, right? Right. right. And uh, it was a pretty cool, and very successful, but uh, difficult to finance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I transitioned in this team to being the finance guy. And so we started kind of seeking investors and reevaluating our priorities. 
and realized what we really wanted to do is launch a brand. Um, and so we, uh, we saw what was happening in the optics market. We had some really strong relationships. Um, and, and we decided to start Maven in 2013. So we're now, we're actually two days from our sixth anniversary oh, wow. of this company. Yeah. And, uh, it's been going fantastic. And we, we made a couple of big decisions. One of them was to sell only direct. Um, and that was, that was a huge difference between us and all of the other, uh, you know, it's a pretty diverse field out there of, of, uh, of optics companies, but we right. decided to sell direct and we, we looked at, we, we, uh, decided to, uh, work to do, to assemble in the U S and make custom products for people. Nice. And, uh, those two things have kind of driven the business along and, yeah, well, that's a lot of information no. for a period of time there. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's great. I mean, so I mean, you you, you kind of covered the the how Maven was was started. You guys had a relationship yeah. previously, right? Um, you know, so two two part question here, and John, I don't know if you have anything to add add in on this, but you know, it's just you know, businesses that started around that time of the economic downturn just like struggled mightily. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, and a lot of them didn't make it out, especially as like small businesses, right? That's like the kiss of death. Like yep. you have a 50% chance of failure just by being a small business in general. Um, then yeah, just get out of the gate. Yeah. Out of the gate, you're already kind of doomed. Um, and then layer on it that you guys had that economic issue to deal with. So one, how did you kind of manage your way through that? And then two, you know, why specifically was Maven started? Like what was the precipice for it? Like what was the mission or the, or the battle cry? And John, I don't know if you have anything else right. to kind of layer onto that. Yeah, yeah. Um, after Mike answers that, then I've got some follow up as well. Cool. Yeah. So uh, I've already lost your first question. Oh, so, so that's how do okay. we navigate that? No, no, how do we navigate that? So it was, it was, it's a long road, and it was interesting because um, the we after starting, uh, you know, having starting in two thousand eight, going strong for a couple of years, but realizing that um we were fighting against exactly those things you talk about the 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 issue when you have a small business there's a lot of things to keep your eyes on and the number one thing is cash mm-hmm. um it's easy to well it's not easy but it's possible to have a good idea and make some good product mm-hmm. um and it's 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 pretty reasonable if you make a good product to sell it to somebody. Um, and especially when you're selling to stores, you know, if you have some relationships out there, um, you know, you can, you can carve your way out on that. The problem is cash. The problem is buying that product and selling that product doesn't happen at the same time. Right. And so, um, we struggled with that. And then of course it was an economic downturn. So we were working very hard to make these sales. Mm -hmm. Um, the way we got out of it, honestly, was it, it comes back to, and it's actually ties exactly to what you talk about, our main kind of battle cry. Right. It comes back to relationships. Um, we realized that the number one, I'll, I'll answer the second question, I'll kind of back into it. The number one thing is we just refuse to work with jerks. Yeah. With, I've used a lot of different terms. I don't know what, how strong a term I want to use on this podcast, but um, <laughs> you're, we, you're free to use them as strong, we, strongly as you would like to we, at, your, at your own peril. We refuse to work with douchebags. Yeah, there you That's go. That's the term we typically, we, we just refuse to yeah. do it. 
And as a result, we end up working with people that we really build a strong relationship with. Mm -hmm. And so we built a strong relationship with a local bank that helped us through a lot of things. And we built a strong relationship with uh, an investor that um, helped us kind of solidify our vision for Maven. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of the initial things is we, we absolutely refused to work with people we didn't want to work with. And then we, 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 this kind of the second battle cry was, you know, that we, we, we refuse to make products that we can't be proud of. We will, we have to be proud of our product. And so, um, that those two things kind of were the, were the foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other piece of it for us is we love where we live. And we want to live in Wyoming and we want to build um, something that we can be proud of, but that's based here in, in our little town in Wyoming. And that's the beauty of this day and age is you can do that. So um, that's what, how we navigated through the, the, you know, the, the hurdles. Um, you know, we, we found ways to, to, to bridge that financial thing. And then at the same time, those are the founding principles of how we kicked into Maven. Um, and I think that the the third piece, the third kind of founding pillar of Maven is uh, that direct-to-consumer yeah. pillar I mentioned earlier. Yep. It, and that means building a relationship with our customer. Yep. And um, that relationship is helping to build our success, you know, because we're making good product, we're offering them as a good value, we're building a relationship with our customers. That also builds towards the future. Right. Like these people are now proud of their, our product. They're telling their friends and they're telling us, they're telling us what we could do, what, what's, what's next. They're telling us, you know, what they're they're the key to our future. Yeah. That's awesome, man. John, did you have a, have a follow up there? Well, it's, you know, going back to when Mike was telling his, uh, his story, I'm sitting there listening to it and I'm going, man, this is just all so familiar, um, about having a, a brand and seeing it sold off and then see it basically go to shit. Um, I recently went through that, you know, uh, with, with wicked, (laughs) right. Right. Um, Nonetheless. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's funny, you know, hearing your perspective on it, because it's, there's not a lot of people that, uh, have been through that where it's the early stages. Cash flow is everything. And yeah, you have to order product. And you have to have it in your in your stock in your warehouse to sell before it actually gets sold. So you're trying to not right. cash flow yourself out, and you're okay. If I get a hundred units, hopefully by the time we sell half of those units, then we've recouped some cash flow, and then we can order another hundred units, or maybe you know I'm using hundred, <laughs> but you but know yeah. I remember the early days of Wicked, and I mean it was literally like we'd order a hundred hand saws. And then we'd order 250 yeah. hand saws. And then, you know, towards the end, we were placing orders for, you know, 20,000 hand saws at a time. But, you know, it, it's it's funny how you you have to you have to wash, you know, watch your cash. That was always the most important thing. And you feel like you're living on the edge. But, you know, the direct to consumer approach, um, it, it's becoming more and more popular. But yep. when you guys started doing that six years ago, nobody was doing that. Right. Um, yeah, really, literally, there was, I mean, everybody was talking about to you at that time. They just kicked yep. out the door. And yep. in the outdoor space, that was it. Right. That right. was it. There was nobody else 
and uh, and nobody knew if that would be successful or not. Um, now, there were some, you know, in the other space, like in, in glasses and in, and some other things, you, you saw it more frequently. But sure. yeah, not 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 in the outdoor. Industry. Well, and I I've always said that the outdoor industry is is behind the times. Um, you <laughs> yeah. know, auto- automotive is always uh, yeah exactly. Automotive has always been ahead of the outdoor industry. Um, and there's times that, you know, I would look at the automotive industry and it's kind of, I don't, I'm not saying I want to copy what they're doing, but it, it would kind of forecast like what's about to come, uh, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and do you think your background and some of the other product stuff that you were working on before Maven and, and Brunton that, that is kind of what placed that mindset with you guys like hey let's let's give this direct to consumer or was it from a position of cash flow where we can be smaller as we navigate our way through our growth well those are that's really astute um and i think the the cash flow piece so it was our direct to consumer uh our decision to go that way was based on um a rejection of our path. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, it wasn't, it, we weren't necessarily embracing something that was new as much, at, although we were, but as we were more uh, trying to get away from the way, the constraints that we had in previous companies and what we saw in the industry, yep. um, the cash flow piece, I, I wish I was brilliant enough to say that's the reason we went um, in a direct to consumer uh, path. Um, it is better. Like the, 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 the way that a direct to consumer business works, uh, you get paid for the product um, and then you give it to someone um, yep. or you basically are getting paid at the time you're handing it to someone. And yep. um, that, that is so much better for um, if you can manage your inventory, um, you are um, you're doing a better you can do a better job of cash flow. Yep. And, so and that and, was a that was a good thing. Well, and, and just for the the listeners, just to kind of shed some information from the business side of um, outdoor industry products. As a general rule, uh, there are a few categories that don't follow this, but as a general rule, if a big box store is buying your product. They're going to buy it from you at a 50% discount of whatever your retail price is. As yep. a general rule, manufacturers want to make at least 50 points on said product. So for sake of easy numbers, let's say you have a $100 item in a store, a box store paid 50 bucks for it, and the manufacturer has 25 bucks in it. Um, that's the general... Yep. You know, that's your cookie cutter numbers, the way the outdoor industry product side works. So that being said, if I'm uh, in following that general traditional method and I've got a product that I've got 25 bucks in and I sell it to a box store, that box store is also going to take the product and they're going to pay me net 60. Right. So you you've got all your skin in the game you had to pay for the product get it shipped to you a lot of times with manufacturing you're putting at least 50% down 50% down uh paid at time of shipment you receive it you send it to the box store they've now got your product they're going to pay you in 60 days so you're already looking 90 maybe even 120 days best case right. scenario 
Um, right. So, and I don't think a lot of people realize that. And, it, you know, Mike, the first, one of the first conversations you and I had, I was drawn to you guys on the direct consumer and then your product backed it up. And because yeah. I look at a set of Maven Vinos, we were at the, we were at Montana tech and I walked up to the, to the booth, you know, and, and I was yep. like, Oh my God, these things are great. And I know my personal feeling with direct consumer is I'm actually getting more bang for my buck because there's no middleman to step on it. And me being former yep. undercover, I like to use, you know, stepping on stuff like stepping on drugs, but nobody's <laughs> stepped on yep. it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I'm getting you, the purest I mean, you've form. Captured, yeah. You've captured exactly. I mean, that's the story that we spend. It's funny. We spend about, I would say half of our time explaining to people what direct to consumer is and why it works for the customer. Mm-hmm. And then half of our time actually talking about our product. Right. And um, we always find that kind of frustrating because, you know, we want to talk about product and yeah. we, we try to stay away from the word value because mm-hmm. that's not really what it's about. I mean, yes, it's a value. You're getting a better product for a better price, but it's real that you move. We, we kind of wanted that to be a given in this day and age, but you've also captured another piece of it. John, that said, um, a lot of people don't see um, the direct to consumer has two other advantages, but uh, besides the uh, the uh, the better price, um, and and that is that you're going to end up with a more intimate relationship with your company uh-huh. um, as a customer, and the second is it, it's a much more sustainable business model because of cash. And so it's a much easier to manage business model. What it isn't is a fast growth business model. So mm-hmm. from a, you know, from a uh, entrepreneur standpoint, you know, and I always often get asked to talk about being an entrepreneur, which I don't really consider myself, but um, it, it is, we all want to get rich. Like, you know what I mean? You know, we want to, we want to have the idea that blows up. And a direct-to-consumer business is not that. Um, and you've got to kind of check your ego a little bit on that. It's like I, we bust our asses to sell a better binoculars. Like we talk, ping, you know, we just, and every time we talk on the phone, talk on an email, we sell one pair of binoculars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I you know what one, I mean? It, I think the one thing that's interesting so about that is just, you know, there's a couple, and John knows all these guys too. It's a, you know, it, you look at a couple companies that I specifically, you know, no, I know, I know you now, right? So, so Maven, who is direct consumer in the in the glass world, and then there's the guys like our friends, you know, from Exodus, Chad Sylvester, and those guys who we're good buddies with that are also direct to consumer. And then you know, I yeah. have my buddies who run and own Tethered, you know, the 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 saddle company, which is all direct to consumer. And the yeah. one thing that I will say is that with all those products you know, you are getting the top notch quality of, of product. The other thing you're also getting is, and I, I think this sometimes is un, sometimes is underrated is the community of people who use those products who are kind of helping kind of re instill and push forward the brand narrative from a marketing perspective, because they are, they are all in because they, they've likely met you at a show. They likely know someone yep. who is on your staff who really believe either your pro staff or your, you know, someone who's sponsored or whatever, who has a really, you know, in-depth knowledge of the, of the, of the brand and the products and kind of, you know, emits that brand. Right. 
And so there's this halo effect that happens because of the direct to consumer approach that you can't get with primos or whatever, you know what I mean? It's like, right. They're selling on a legacy name, you know, and you know, and it's a great legacy name, not going to, not going to discount it, but you know, there's the other approach, which is, you know, we're going to do right by the customer. We're going to do right by the people. We're going to have faces and names to the product and make sure that the narrative is about, is about the quality of the product, about the performance of the product and how it fits into the, the end user's life to enhance their, you know, enhance their adventures. And that to me is the biggest difference between direct consumer, not the biggest from a business model perspective, but from a consumer side perspective, right? That that's the difference that, that I see as a consumer. I, I think that's fantastic. And I, because really, you know, we, we, John and I are, you know, we talk about the business perspective, all this, and we keep this in mind, but the end result is really, we care about the customer yep, and we care about the product. And I'm glad that that comes through because we really do like, I mean, we, when, when we spend time on the phone with the customer, we're really trying to understand what their needs are and understand how that product fits into their needs. And then I think that passes along, you know, that, that customer passes that care on to his buddy who is then, you know, so I love that, that you talk about community. I think that, that is really what I agree with you percent That's one of the great advantages of these direct companies is that you're I just joining a family. Yeah. I just think as much information is available in, you know, in the ether these days, right. People have a lot of information to make decisions. And so transparency has to be King because you're going to be found out if it's, if you're not, you know, and exactly, you know, I don't know, you know, for the, like for the, you know, the hardcore, like we'll call them the hardcore hunters or the super dedicated ones or however we want to phrase it. Right. I don't know many of them, or I'll just say my circle of friends. Like I, I don't, none of them, none of us have bought something that, you know, uh, you know, and these guys are, I think they do a good job for the industry and not, you know, discounting what they do, but like, I've never bought anything that Mark or Terry Drury, Drury was hawking or, you know, the man from Booger Bottom, you know what I mean? Like I've never bought anything that they've endorsed because I'm going like, yeah, they, they probably use it, you know, maybe, you know, but it's, they're, they're not a guy like me, but whenever I talk to guys that, you know, for example, you know, like, uh, I've been looking at new boots, for example, and I know John has a specific brand that he really likes and, 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 and wears and works with. And so I'm like, Hey, I know you really like these boots. I respect John as a hunter and I respect his opinion. Right. And so I'm going to ask him, Hey, right. if I have a gear question, it's like, Hey man, I'm thinking about X, Y, and Z. What do you think? You know, and get his opinion. Right. And that's, and that's kind of how I formulate, you know, what products I'm going to look so- at. So that person, so John, for you, John, that you're, you know, he is in your mind, he's a trusted expert yep. about hunting boots. Yep. You know, he's someone that you trust. He's a, you might consider him an, for you, he's an influencer, mm-hmm. right? You know, a trust expert. So that person, that, that the name for that type of person is a maven. Yeah. That's where we, that's where we named our company. It's our, our ethos is the best way to find great product in, or great anything. It's not just products, but the best, shortest cut, best way to get what you, to get the best benefit out of anything is to find someone that you trust, yep. a trusted expert, an influencer. And that actually, that's, that's been our, our, our feeling from the beginning. And it's where we came up with the name of our company yep. is because that's, 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 that's our community. 
you know, your, your, your community's filled with those trusted experts, yeah. those influencers. Exactly. So Clint, and you so are from, one of them. well, and from this, this, the rest of this podcast, Clint, you are to refer to me as Maven. As, as Maven Utah. <laughs> Maven Utah. It sounds yeah, like yeah, you're a character yeah. on Little House on the Prairie or something, dude. <laughs> I well, I kind of am a character. <laughs> he kind of is. Kind of is. Uh, all right, so I want to switch gears here. You know, because you know, starting a small business just in general is not an easy task. You yeah. know, just you know, I think we kind of no. covered covered that. Um, but I think yeah. I think even in this day and age in social media, and especially when you're direct consumer only, and and in only way people are are able to kind of interact with your products are at shows and so forth. Right? I know that that's mm-hmm. sometimes a challenge because they can't go pick it up, look at it because it's not in a store, right? So that's right. a hurdle to to a degree. But that also kind of spawns, you know, naysayers, right? The you know, or the yeah. hater the haters, if you will, right? And it always happens at the beginning <laughs> of people's life cycles because it's just be honest. It's like it's really easy for those, you know, who uh who don't try to achieve to cast stones at those who do try. You know what I mean? Sure. Um and so sure. I, I find I just want to I'm just curious, you know, when you guys started out, you know, at the beginning, you know, how the naysayers that you did have, how did you begin to win them over or to prove them incorrect in their, I guess, in their scoffs at what you were attempting to do? Right. Um, you know, we ran into different kinds of naysayers. Um, you know, there, there certainly are, um, and we still run into them and we're, we're a new company. I mean, six years old is not very old right. and there's a lot. And, and as John said, that this industry is notoriously behind the times and where I find one of the ways is our customer or our consumers, not ours, Mavens, but the outdoor industry's customer base is notoriously uninformed. And it's, so we run into people all the time every day at every show and on the phone every day that, well, I guess on the phone, they're not saying they never heard of us because they obviously heard of us enough to call us, but, um, every single show never heard of you, never heard of you. And so those naysayers, um, naysay in a couple different ways. One of the first and, and as the ones that just takes a while to overcome is that, um, how do I know you're going to be around in five years? Right. You know, and that's, that's a legitimate question. Um, uh, we've won the ones who we have won over, we won over simply by time. And right. we're going to continue to win those people over as we continue to, you know, push on along. Um, the, the, the naysayers I like to deal with are the ones that naysay us about product because the way we win them over is putting a pair of, a pair of mavens in their hands. And that's all it takes. Right. Um, we do, it is, you're absolutely right, Clint. There's a, it is the number one hurdle with a direct, with an internet based only company is that people can't touch your product and optics in particular. Um, people want to touch it. They want to feel it. They want to know how it fits in their hands and against their face and how it looks. And so we've won those people over by being at shows. Um, we go to 36 shows a year around this country. Um, we're going to continue to expand that sh- that list, or not shrink it, uh, because we realize that being in front of people is awesome. So we work with other people to help. I mean, obviously, the, we can't go to every single show. There, the three of us can't. The right. seven of us here in HQ can't go. But we have friends that have helped us and partners that are helping us go to shows. And so we'll expand that list. The number, the but 
beyond that, we also have a demo program, which is an awesome program. To I saw that actually. Get a pair of cool. optics. Yeah, you can you can get a pair of optics. You can have them for two weeks. So you know, I mean, you've been into a store and tried a pair of binos. They look good. You know, you're looking in your bright light. You got lots of detail. It's not very far away. Everything looks good. But where the rubber beats the road on a pair of optics is at, you know, at five o'clock in the morning or at eight thirty at night, depending on your time of day and what time of year. But, um, you know, it's after the sun's down and before the sun's up that it really makes a difference. Right. And that's what's great about a demo program. You can get that out and you can try it in every, you know, every environment you want. You can go out in the woods and, you know, you can, you can take it on a, on a scouting trip. You can, uh, you know, you can take it to your neighbor's house who has the, you know, the best pair of binos you've ever seen and try them head to head with his. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's a great way to go. Nice. So I want to, I want to shift gears again here. I, I agree with you. I mean, the challenge is that's kind of what I heard from, you know, you know, you just kind of reiterated it. It's something that, you know, I've heard yeah. Chad and those guys kind of talk about as far as like mm-hmm. the biggest hurdle is, is like, they just need to, they just need to see it and try it, you know? And like, once they try right. it, you know, and they, and they get a sense of the quality right. and, you know, and, and they, and I think meeting the people at the shows, it's like you get it. Cause this, so, you know, I was pitching a business thing several years ago to some investors and, you know, one of the, this was an older gentleman who gave me some really good advice. Uh, he and I went out to dinner and he basically, well, first thing he said, and I'll never forget this. I'm waiting one day to when I can use this. He, he was eating breakfast and he said he was having bacon and eggs. And he looks at me and says, which, uh, which animal here gave, gave the most for this, for this breakfast? And I'm thinking, I'm like, this is like an SAT question. I'm like, all right, <laughs> what's, right. what's the answer to this? Shit. I'm sitting here yeah. thinking, you okay, know, okay, come on. Yeah. I know it's a trick question. Yeah, exactly. I'm yeah. like, it doesn't matter how I answer it; it's going to be wrong, right? And so I was just—I said the chicken, right? Right. You know, it gave up its its unborn children, maybe, or the chicken gave up. You know, the chicken that was literally in the in the egg itself gave up its you know its life, but yeah, te- there you go. Technically unborn, right. right? So he looks at me. He says, "Yeah." He's like, "The chicken laid the egg. It gave a lot." And he's like, and "Even the chicken that was in the egg gave a lot, but it wasn't really. It wasn't really. It hadn't manifested itself yet into like being a chicken." He said. The hog gave the most. He's like, it gave its life so I could have this bacon. He said, Clint, I only work with hogs that are willing to lay down, <laughs> lay down their life for the business. He's like, so let me ask you, are right. you a chicken or are you a pig? <laughs> and that was, <laughs> and I was like, I thought it was in like a, like a gangster movie or something, you know, it was, right. it was kind of You're funny. You're looking around for the cameras. Yeah. Like, okay, this is, am I on reality television right now? Yeah, 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 exactly. You, so, what did you decide? Are you a chicken or are you a pig? Well, I told him I was a pig, and then, um, of you know, he did. Yeah, it was like, yeah, I'm a pig. It's, and uh, we ended up getting close to like our 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 uh, seed money that we were looking to raise, and uh, we were a couple hundred k short of the final of the final goal. And we had the one investor that we did have that was that was in on it, wanted me to scale the the project back, and he would be and he would fully fund it, but. I had a number in my head that I wanted to hit uh, that I thought we would need to have to have a chance to be successful. And I wasn't willing to do it yeah. for anything, anything less than that. Cause I just thought it was going to be a waste of some folks, folks time. And I didn't also didn't want to waste someone else's money necessarily either. So, right. uh, you know, Absolutely. I, I backed off of it, but you know, the thing I think that, you know, in the direct to consumer game and, you know, I've worked booze for Chad and those guys at like outdoor shows and stuff like that. I've done some stuff for tethered at, at shows and stuff like that. And I think the biggest thing is, is that, they're betting on a horse. 
You know what I mean? Like, and that's kind right. of what it is. Like in business, it's like you don't invest, you invest yet in the idea, but like if you have a guy who has a decent idea, but you know he's just going to get it done because that's his track record, you put money on that guy or that girl, whatever. Right. Right. Um, and so I think it's right. similar in the direct to consumer world where it's like, yeah, they don't, they, they can't get their hands, ta- you know, tactically on the piece at the ready. But when they do, you know, once they meet the people and they understand the people behind it, they're willing to bet on that horse. You know, and then it's a long term. Right. Co- it's a long term commitment. So you're going for the long game versus the short game. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. Which, from a customer, once you understand that, and you understand that, and it's amazing to me how few customers do, but they're getting more and more. They understand that is exactly that answers that number one naysayer question of like, you know, how do I know you're going to be here in five years? Right. Um, the flash in the pan want to get rich idea um and and that that is the one you can't trust right it's the one you're you know those people who are saying oh no i've got this new idea uh cabela's is going to buy a million of them i'm going to be you know those are the ones that you should be really suspect of. yeah but when you look at that low growth quality built low volume that's the long game that's the company that you can see oh look they don't have they didn't launch 55 rifle scopes right out of the gate right um because that's just not sustainable you can see that in a company like they focus on a product they aren't making a lot of different products they're slow growth and that's that long game but that's a that's a lot to expect a customer to understand it is. So it I is. get that it takes a while. Right. And there's a lot of different ways to communicate that, whether it's in your value proposition, sure. whether it's in your your mission, you know, your the company mission, right. whether it's in, you know, your reasons to believe in your products or whatever. Um, you know, so, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can, you know, communicate that and everyone kind of digests it and interprets it differently. So you kind of have to do it in a bunch yep. of different avenues. But I want to talk to you a little bit about knowing that, you know, the customer is kind of at the center of everything you guys do from a direct to consumer perspective. And so I'm curious, you know, you know, what your R and D process looks like, you know, where new product ideas come from, where do the adaptions, you know, adaptations come from, from previous generation mm-hmm. products to new products, like how much influence do your customers actually have and how your lines kind of evolve over time? Right. No, that's great. And it, and it, and the, the, the answer is more and more, mm-hmm. um, the, the, uh, initially, obviously we didn't have enough customer base to just really put it all out there and have these customers drive our product direction. But as the further we go down the line, the more they do. And so of course, when, you know, back in the old days when we were uh, making product and trying to sell the bunch, you know, back in my old, you know, my old role when I was selling to uh, the dealers, you, you really, it drove you nuts when people, when you, when someone walk up and go, you know what you should do? Um, you, you just sort of close the way, and you know, put your hand over your ears. And your you're like, no, I don't, away. but I bet you're going to have an no. idea. <laughs> yeah, here we go. But I got to admit, that is honestly, my ears now perk up when someone says, you know what you should do? Um, even though 99 times out of 100, that idea is not, not executable. It may be a good idea, but it just can't be done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and many of them are not good ideas either. There is that gem in that one out of a hundred that you say, wow, I, we really should do that. And as we start, so we accumulate, we listen all the time to our customers. 
Um, and uh, for example, we just recently launched a compact, uh, lightweight, packable spotting scope, um, and that was absolutely a customer outcry. That you know, people are saying, "No, I'm, I'm, I don't need a 65 millimeter like everybody else is doing. I want something that's ultimately packable." Um, and so we listen to our, our customers have a ton of effect on the direction we're going. Now we can't move at the speed uh that that some companies can move uh for for financial reasons for logistics reasons for inventory control reasons for all kinds of different reasons but we can't uh i would say every product that's in our line right now in our queue right now for development uh is is customer generated hmm. uh is a is you know from our customer base supported and we we bring we typically bring now uh, we have some some customers that we've been dealing with enough that um, we you know we'll bring a team in and and true up that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, like our new rifle scope, we have a rifle scope coming out at the end of this year. Um, it's a long range uh, hunting scope. That that team, I it was, it's an obvious extension of our line to have a long range scope. Right. Um, but the true how we really built those details was talking to a lot of customers and then bringing a group of five of them together for a weekend to shoot a bunch and uh, talk a bunch about what would make the perfect, you know, what, what would make the right scope. Right. Speaking of products and scopes, I want to shift gears here and I, and I want to talk about specs and the products. You have a lot of gears. I do have a lot of gears, man. It's a, <laughs> he's on a ten speed. Yeah, yeah. I'm not one. I'm not one of those uh, trendy fixed gear guys. I'm. Like, I gotta. I roll an old school not, ten speed. Yeah, this is not a. Yeah, not three on the tree here. You're you're rolling big. That's right. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's how, that's, how, that's, that's how we do it. That's how we do it. I borrowed John Spandex bike shorts for this podcast in case anyone was wondering. Bet you did. <laughs> I, I can't. I can't speak to that. I can't. I, I can't even. I'm. I'm having a hard time. We got to move on because I'm starting to visualize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll move. We'll move quickly here. Um, but I do want to talk about products. And a lot of times for me, um, you know, this this section of the podcast is a little bit selfish. I'm not going to lie. Going to be fully transparent um, because yeah. I don't know a lot about a, a lot about glass. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm kind of. Um, you know, the last time I went out West to hunt, I was hunting with a buddy of mine and he was like, you know, I was of course looking at different gear and he was like, Hey, don't bother getting a spotting scope. He's like, I have one. He's like, we'll glass together. Um, and and you'll be fine. And I was like, okay, cool. So I ended up, you know, I, I did get a pair of binos, but like until that point, I had never even used a pair of binos to hunt whitetails, like never took a set of binos into the, into the timber. Right. Um, it was just, I didn't grow yeah. up. I didn't grow up using them. Right. Um, just, yeah. I'd never really thought about it. Um, until I started taking them, I, I actually didn't even take them cause I thought I would need them. I was like, eh, everyone else takes them. I should probably just check it out and see what the deal is. You know? And right. so I started taking right. them and now, you know, I, I, they have a place in my, in my gear. But the other part is, is that, you know, I'm getting ready to do a Western hunt, not this fall, but next with my dad and in, in Colorado and, and he and I are going nice. together just solo, um, or not solo, but just he and I, nobody else. And right. so, you know, he doesn't yeah. have any, you know, you know, glass for, for glass and, you know, long distances and stuff like that. So I was like, all right, I got to look into doing that. And then also mm-hmm. it'll help me with my summer, um, glassing of fields for whitetails during the summer. So this is really right. a selfish section. So I can learn more about glass as I'm thinking about, you know, making some, uh, making some purchases here. So first thing yep. I want to understand, and I think, you know, 
folks out there listening probably would like to understand is what separates great optics from mediocre optics? Like, so color, clarity, you know, all the, you know, right. uh, light aberration, whatever the case might be. Like, what is, what are those deciding factors and how can you tell you have good glass versus okay glass? It, it's tough. It, it, it really is. It, there's that. I wish it was a little more clear cut that everybody, you know, I could just give you a say, you know, if you look for this number or this phrase or this, uh, you know, this specification, you're going to know exactly what you're getting. And, the, you know, the old mantra of, uh, you know, get the best optics you can afford or, mm-hmm. you know, you get what you pay for. Um, a lot of those things are really true. Um, the, the testing of it, what makes good glass is the density of that glass. Hmm. And um, where where it's made, how much it costs to make, um, which of course is reflected in how much it costs to purchase, um, really are the best measurements that we've seen to knowing, you know, being able to test a pair of glass. Now, obviously, the tried and true is to look through it, right. to get it in your hands and to, to look through that. Um, there are quality glass um, comes from one of two areas of the world. Um, it comes from Europe and it comes from Japan. Hmm. And um, now that doesn't mean that automatically you get a Japanese optic system or a, a German optic system that it's going to be high quality because there there's a variety in all of those locations. But that is um, a good sniff test, um, kind of first sniff test. Hmm. Um, the 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 price of the optic, I mean, I mean, that's maybe that's a little obvious, mm-hmm. but the problem with that, as John was talking about, is you when you once you break out of a direct sale model, there's a lot difference. There's a large difference between what it costs to manufacture that product and right. what you're paying for it, depending on where you purchased it. Right. So um, you can look for some some key elements. You can look for terminology uh, like ED, extra low light dispersion glass. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of companies call it HD, uh, high density glass. Um, it doesn't, again, it's a good indicator, but there's no requirement. If you call something HD, it can be whatever the heck that you want it to be. Right. Um, it doesn't, there's no uh, legal requirement. Um, there is a legal requirement on country of origin. So within this country, within the U.S. Right. So if you can look at where it's made, you're going to know uh, a little bit more about the product. Okay. Um, but the the best the best case is to look through it, and uh, that's I know that's not an easy answer. That's a tough answer, but uh, and that's why there you, you talked about transparency. There's a lot of information out on the internet that you can tell. Um, I recommend finding a reviewer that you really trust and, and look into them and then try them out. Right. And that's where you're de- where you, uh, I mean, th- I think you guys start to differentiate yourselves just right then and there, which is the demo program that you guys have. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it's you absolutely, know, you're not going to be able to take, you're not going to be able to go into Cabela's and pick up like an expensive pair of binders and say, Hey, mind if I take these out and scout with these for a week? Yeah. You know what I mean? They're yeah, going to yeah, look at I you take them for a week. Yeah. They're going to be like, yeah. uh, are you high? But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but you can take a pair of demos of our demos, get them, then take them into Cabela's and try them side by side with the, with, you know, with the Swarovskis or whatever you're looking at in the right. store. 
Um, we love when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, I, I hear about, I hear about it from a lot of, uh, store employees. I've sold to more store employees because other people have brought our optics into the store. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that's pretty, that's pretty funny. What, uh, so, so what are, you know, a, a person going out and looking to, to pick up some, some binos or a spotting scope or whatever the case yep. might be from a consumer perspective, right? Like, so say, say Mike, you know, doesn't work for Maven and you're going to go look to get some glass, right? What yep. features should you be thinking about or would you be thinking about when you're choosing optics? Like what are the main features you would kind of like zone in on, 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 on checking out? Sure. Sure. So the, the first thing for me, uh, for an optic is deciding on which optic you want. Um, and so, um, for me, I mean, and maybe I'm getting ahead of what you're talking about, but, um, I, I want to know, is that what's most important? Mm-hmm. Um, is that is use it? What, what kind of distances am I looking at? Am I using this in low light situations? Um, how big a deal is it to carry an optic around? Um, you know, do I want? Is, do I really want to focus it on it being lightweight and compact? Like, am I archery hunting? Am I doing a lot of spot stock, or am I spotting out of a vehicle? Um, is it a combination? You know, is there a compromise I need to think about? And so I, I kind of look at all of those things, and I think you need to weigh those things out as you're looking at an optic. Right. Um, uh, there's a little bit of personal preference in optics. It, it really would be nice if there was sort of a one-stop answer. So you can say, oh, the whitetail optic you want is this. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh, I'm elk hunting in Arizona. It's this. I'm elk hunting in Colorado. It's this. Um, but there's a little bit of personal preference in there that really comes down to which is more important to you, um, a field of view where you're, where you want to see as much as you can see because you're trying to find an animal mm-hmm. or magnification where I'm really want to pull apart and, and dissect this area that I'm looking at, um, that, you know, and, and see as maximized amount of details that I'm seeing within that area. And that we, I have found more than anything those that little dichotomy that little shift of which is more important am i looking for something or am i really looking at something you know at the details that is the split of personality of optics that's the difference of whether you use an 8x42 or a 10x42 right whether you really want a 15x56 or um there's no way you would ever use that in a real world situation. Right. Um, I land on the person, the, the, the end of I'm trying to find something. Um, and so I, I'm a low, I've always been a low power fan. Mm-hmm. The majority of the hunters that, that we talk to, the more majority of the hunters we sell to the majority of the hunt, I think of the hunters in the U S are at least think that they want power. Mm-hmm. The magnification detail is the number one most important thing to them. And that's why the 10 by 42 is the number one most popular optic in the nation. Well, that's um, interesting. it's a, it's a, honestly, it's a compromise. You know, it's not a 12 power. It's not a 15 power. It's a reasonable optic. You can hold it still with your hand. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it lets a good amount of light in. It has a good field of view. It's, it's, you know, it's the, Ford F one fifty of um of binoculars. Like it'll do yeah, you won't want to all your 
fifth wheel around with it, but if you really want to tow a trailer, you can't. Right. Um, right. Yes, you can. Yes, you can hold a, a, a load of wood, but you know, you may be, you know, it's it's a workhorse. Right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And you were kind of foreshadowing yeah. a little bit the next section or the next thing I wanted to talk about, which was, yeah, I wanted to kind of, pick up. yeah, I wanted to go through and kind of like do contextually, you know, talk about your products in context of use case, you know, so we can get a So people can just yeah. get a sense of like the line that you guys have and, and what they kind of ap- sure. apply to, you know, and I'll, and we'll use right. kind of John and I as our analogs here, as far as like our hunting style yeah. and like, and where we hunt and so forth. So you know, if, if John or I were doing a Western hunt and going out, you know, to hunt elk, mule deer, you know, John likes to hunt pronghorn, um, you know, what would, yep. the, what, you know, what product and features, you know, I guess, let me ask it this way. What products do you guys have that you would probably recommend knowing that would be the type of hunting we would do? And like, what are the features yeah. that are most important to those products? Right. So, so again, um, I, I would say if, if for Western hunting and, and for Eastern hunting, but the but the light gathering for any hunting light gathering is critical, and so um, for I, I think you're gonna I think you would both agree with me that light gathering is uh, you know so low light use like you know in low light hours use is more important than being compact and lightweight mm-hmm. um, and. Yeah, let me let me back up one step. So first of all, I don't know how many of your listeners really know what the numbers on a binocular mean because I am blown away every time I go to talk to anybody. People who've been hunting for thirty years, forty years, don't know what the ten by forty two means. Yeah, I, I mean, color, on their color be guilty. I got ten by forty twos because yeah. I was like, hey, it seems like everyone else uses the ten by forty twos, so it must yeah. work across a broad yeah. spectrum of things. Right. Yeah. Right. It's a three to nine by 40. It's a whatever, you know, what, what is, what does that mean? And uh, we have found that the majority of customers out there don't know what that means. So it's, it's fairly simple, but it's not, it's, it's worth talking about. So the first number is the 10 or the eight or the 12, whatever it is, but on the 10 by 40, it's the 10. That is the magnification. So um, a, a, a 10 power binocular makes things look 10 times bigger or 10 times closer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty easy math, you know, something at a hundred yards looks like it's 10 yards away. Right. Um, when you're looking through that binocular. And so, um, that's, that's the, the first number. That's the most, probably the most important number. The second number is a little bit more complex because it's the, uh, diameter in millimeters of the objective lens, the lens that goes towards the object, not the one you put against your eyeball, but the other one. Um, and what that drive is, um, is two things. It drives the, uh, size of the binocular. So a 10 by 30 is a lot smaller than a 10 by 56 mm-hmm. because the overall optic system has to change. Um, so a 10 by 42 is kind of right in the middle of that. And then the second thing it drives is the amount of light it gathers in the bigger that lens. It's like your eye, your pupil dilating. The bigger that lens, the more light that comes into the binocular. Um, what it doesn't drive a hundred percent is the the field of view or the you know how much you're going to how wide of an angle you're going to see. Mm-hmm. Um, people always often think that that diameter of that lens drives that. And it's honestly it's it's strange, but it doesn't. 
it but it does drive the amount of light you want to gather. So my point to that is for a hunting optic, something in the 40 millimeter range is really a good reasonable place to start for a for a hunting optic so you because so you're bringing in you're gathering a reasonable amount of light in a low light situation. Okay. If you, if you are an archery hunter um, that is really worried about weight or or maybe you're maybe you're a pronghorn hunter and you're just not out that early in the day. You know, right. I, I hunt a lot of pronghorn. I don't usually hunt until the sun's up. Um, then I think you can get your little happier with a compact optic. But for an overall hunting optic, um, and I, honestly, I don't care if you're in the west or in the east, you want to gather light. That's right. the reason you brought a binocular. And so it's worth getting something in the 40 millimeter range, 42, 40, 45, something in that range. Right. And so for where, where go oh, ahead. Good, no, I was going to say for a, a, uh, for a spotting scope, you know, what, mm-hmm. what, I, I guess, give me a, an example of the, of, of the, uh, I guess the variety that you guys have, have available for, for a spotting scope. Well, I mean, I'll talk about the variety of a market um, because the market is actually a little wider than what we have available um, okay. because the same thing happens in a spotting scope. The bigger that lens, the more light you're going to gather. That That's even more important when you get into high power. Mm-hmm. Um, so we make an 80 millimeter scope and now we have a 56 millimeter scope. There's also, it's pretty common to have a 65 millimeter scope and sometimes there's bigger ones like your 90 or 100 millimeters. So the bigger that lens the bigger that the larger that scope's going to be and it gets really big i mean our 80 millimeter scope weighs about four pounds hmm. it's it's a heavy to do but you have to the that the diameter of that lens really drives how successful you can be at a higher power right um and even an 80 millimeter lens if you stretch it beyond a 50 times magnification you really can't bring in enough light to get good clarity. Right. So if you're going to get up to 60 or 65 power, which we don't do, but if other other companies do, you really should be using a 100-millimeter lens or a 90-millimeter lens okay. um, in order to get – otherwise, your clarity is lost, right. um, your resolution. You just can't see a clear image at a long distance. Right. So, so – Go ahead. Um, the, the personality drip so, – most, I think people, all joking aside about an 8x42, you know, we give a lot of people crap about that being the most popular. It is a fantastic all-around configuration. Mm-hmm. Um, you are, it's a good compromise of somebody who's going to, that's going to spend a lot of time looking at 50 or 60 yards mm-hmm. and is going to spend a lot of time looking at 800 or 1,000 yards. Okay. Um if you spend the majority of your time looking under 500 yards, my recommendation would be to go with a lower power. Go with a 7, 8, or 9. Hmm. Um, stay low. You're going to get a better field of view. You're going to get better clarity and more light transmission because you're, you have a larger field of view. You're bringing in more light. You're out, you're, you know, you've got more options that way. If you're spending the majority of your time looking... 500 yards or more go with a higher power optic don't compromise right so if you're going back and forth then pick a horse and right. you're going to be okay 
Right. So it sounds like I chose wisely because I'm kind of, I was using mine for out west, and I, and then of course I'm using it a lot for whitetail, which is that you know if I'm glassing, yeah. it might be 300 yards away from my truck to a, right. a middle of a bean field somewhere, or it's you know yeah. 50 yards through you know brush and timber that I'm looking, you know. Right. So it's out. Yeah. So it sounds like I chose wisely. So let me ask this: say say for example, there's a guy who's just hunting whitetails and he hunts in really thick kind of areas, you know, d- doesn't go out west, you know what? you know, what Maven Bino would be, would be the one you'd put him on. Would it be that like seven, seven ish power, you know, Bino that you would be thinking about? Yep. I would do a seven or an eight, uh, depending on, you know, depending on which configuration you're doing. Honestly. So I assume this guy's, uh, primarily I, I would ask whether he's a spot and stock hunter or if he's a tree stand hunter. Right. Um, if he's a tree stand hunter, I would go with an eight by 42. Um, or an, or a seven or nine by 45. Um, I would go with a slightly larger optic mm-hmm. because you don't have to carry it around. It's great. And you're really going to be able to bring in some light, pick right. apart what you're looking at. Right. Um, if you're a spot and stock, if you're, you're looking at that, you're just walking through super dense foliage. I would go with a, a compact. I'd go with a six or an eight by 30. Right. Um, because you're fighting, if you're getting through that kind of dense, now that's rare. But, right. you know, obviously that's, that's where I would go. Right. Um, the only difference I would say is, and I talked to a lot of these whitetail hunters is the guys that's like guy, like, oh, I just don't like to bring binoculars because they're too heavy, but they do whatever you can to bring a pair of binoculars because you will not regret it. Right. And in that case, getting a compact might be okay right. because at least you'll bring it along. Yeah. That's, that's kind of where I, out of it. that's kind of where I was at, where I was not you know, taking yeah. anything. And then once I started, it was kind of like, it, and it was always for weight reason. I was always like, I don't really want to carry these. Like I'm going to carry these and I'm not, I'm not even going to use them, but it ended up, right. you know, they make it, they make, they make a big difference. But John, do you have any, uh, any, I mean, I feel, I feel educated finally. Like I feel like I know a little bit about optics. <laughs> so when I make my, my choices here in the not so distant future, I'll know what the, what the hell I'm looking at and what I'm talking about. But, uh, you have any additional questions there, John? Well, I mean, just, just, you know, uh, I'd say kind of an unbiased person that, that, you know, doesn't own Maven, but I've been running them for the last couple of years, uh, on the whitetail side, that C series is unbelievable wow. how much you get on that C series, like extremely affordable, very, very quality glass, uh, from a whitetail perspective, I would recommend, um, you know, if a guy's, you know, working on a budget a little bit. Uh, but once a good quality piece, the C1, <clears throat> excuse me, the C1 or the C2 are phenomenal. Um, you can get those like the C1, you can get in an eight by 42. Um, the C2, I believe that's a seven by 28. Is that correct? Correct. Yep. Um, yep. So those are two very affordable pieces. I mean, uh, that C2 uh, starts at 200 bucks and the C1 starts at 325. And you know, not going to bash any competitors of Maven, but I have had people that have compared the C series to some four and five hundred dollar competitors, and yep. everybody has told me this is a better this is better glass than what I just paid. You know, so and, and it kind of gets it goes back to that bang for the buck. I mean, you know, when people are shopping for products. Remember the remember the golden rule in the outdoor industry. 
and you kind of know how much skin in the game that other player has um, under some of those different bot business models. And, you know, the previous model that I gave those examples with the, the numbers that kind of starts making sense why that $300 bino is better than the competitor's $500 bino. And that's just, yeah, that's from personal experience from what I've heard from people. Um, I was with uh, a competitor of, of Mavens for a lot of years and, you know, I made the switch uh, based on quality and Michael tell you straight up, I'm not a paid person from Maven. So, um, you know, I'm speaking from, from the, I wanted quality glass and, and wasn't a paid spokesperson. Um, and, and I found it now. I also have the B series, uh, 10 by 42s. Those things were so awesome out West. Uh, A little bit more magnification, you know, glassing, you know, 100, 200, 300, 400 yards and that kind of stuff. Um, and, and that came in, that came into play tree stand hunting, whitetail hunting eight by 42s and you're solid. Yeah. What, uh, mm-hmm. what, what glass, John, did you, which uh, set of mavens did you give me while we were out shed hunting or, or while I was out visiting? You, you were, hunting? you, yeah, I had, I had my B series and, in, in um, in my bino harness and then you were carrying the uh, C ones. Nice. Yeah. They were sweet. I mean, they yep. were, it's, uh, I liked them better than the ones that I have at my house. So I was a little bummed to give them up. Not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to well, figure John, was... and John, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the C's and the B's and, you know, cause I, I was talking much more generically before and didn't get really into the detail between the two, but, um, we were psyched to launch that C series. We were, we were a little nervous because, you know, you, you, you always want to have your hundred percent best put forward, but the C series really have been killing it. They are awesome, and you're absolutely right that um, when you talk about a, a you know a, a, a workhorse, a value of a of a of a of a item of a product, those C series we're really psyched with how how they compare out there. Yep. Well, and and that's the thing too. Like I get it. Um, you know, our backgrounds are similar on launch. You know, launching products, and I and I'm still a product yeah. designer for some other companies, and you you launch a product and let's just say you have a pre, you know you're launching a premium product i mean the b1s those are $900 binos um yep. and then you launch a product that's $300 and you're like okay are people going to think that this was kind of an afterthought so i get it um but right. i can i can tell you straight up it it is quality glass and you know you see some companies do this where they launch a price point item um, and it mm-hmm. kind of helps bridge the gap. I only see it as the C1 actually helps you sell your other binos as well. Because, you know, people, when they want to go out west and they're like, you know what, I, I got to stick with Maven. I got to go to their next lineup or something. But um, it's a great quality piece. It's a, and, and I I wouldn't call it an entry level piece because because the quality's there, but the price is right. right. And yeah, they're phenomenal. I've, um, Traditionally, what I do is I carry the B1s with me on, on a bino harness. Um, the C1s always go with me in shed hunting parties if somebody doesn't have binos. Or for me, you know, I wanted to, you know, get Clint on the Maven train. So I'm like, hey, you need to pack these. <laughs> <laughs> and so I had him using them. But they also stay in my truck a lot, too, uh, right. along with my spotter. And, you know, I hit these gravel roads. Actually, last night I went out uh, with my Maven spotter 
and was doing some of my uh, my mobile glassing from my truck. Uh, starting right. to start to spot some velvet bucks, uh, you know, here in Iowa. So before the before the corn gets too tall and you can't see them as well, um, it makes <laughs> it makes it kind of nice. But you know, right. and that's the thing. Too, like I was staring through the spotter last night, and it was I mean it was dark, like it was dark dark, and I'm still right. crystal clear seeing you know seeing seeing bucks out there, and and it was so hot I knew they wouldn't come out till late last night. Um, right. But yeah, once I took my eye you know, out of, out of the spotter. And I looked around and I'm like, okay, people Holy are going to think I'm crazy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like people are going to think I'm like, yeah. what is this guy doing? It's dark outside and he's looking through right. a telescope, you know, um, <laughs> yep. he must be looking at stars. Yeah, exactly. But, he's, a, he's a hippie. He's looking at stars. <laughs> he's a hippie. Yeah. So no, it's, um, and that's why, you know, you were talking about the different, um, you know, the different specs, whether it be the, on the eye side or the, what I call the scope side or, you know, the glass side. And I yep. wanted to kind of paint that picture for people just so they, when they're on the website, when they're on the Maven site and you're looking at the different series, Maven does a phenomenal job of breaking everything down. As far as the specs, you kind of see what you're going at. And then once you make your decision on what is going to work the best for you, then you can go over to the shop page and then it's got everything listed out and you can start going from there. But um right super super um super clean and it's a smooth process thanks thanks yeah we definitely work to try to make it that way and 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 always are trying to improve um one of the differences of course with the c series between ours is the bees are allow that customization those are really one built one by one by one it really you know that that b you know, the quality of making that that's why the b is just a binocular like binocular number one binocular two the c series are more mass produced there's no customization available but they still we focus on making you know a, a solid workhorse of our product all across the board we back everything with an unconditional lifetime warranty so um you know optically we're going to keep this thing running you know functionally going to keep it running forever it's a legacy product in our mind um it's something you'll pass down for generations Nice. Um, so it's transferable. It's it's back 100. percent But um, but that that's kind of one of the differentiations between the two. Awesome. So first off, I got a thorough education on glass, so I want to say thanks for that. <laughs> um, and sure. uh, I'm continually more jealous of John's binos that he let me borrow while we were shed hunting. I was hoping that they would make my make their way into my suitcase before I left Iowa, but uh, they they did not. Uh, un- unfortunately, they stayed in his uh, stayed in his. He's vehicle. cautious about that. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. didn't let me get too far away with him. I'll tell you that. I didn't get out of eye, I didn't get out of eyesight. Um, but before we let you go, Mike, I want to give you uh, a chance to kind of let people know where they can find out more about Maven, find out oh, yeah. more about your products, and where they might be able to follow you and get information. Yep. Well, I appreciate that. We are we are online, of course, at mavenbuilt.com. Um, you can find us on on social media, on on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at mavenbuilt. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a million hashtags, but, um, you can, it's, it's easy, easy to find us, uh, on the internet. We, uh, we, we are out there. We're not in any stores. We are never going to be in any stores. Um, but you can find us on Amazon as well. We do have a storefront there because a lot of people just shop there. So we figured we'd extend that as well, but right. mavenbuilt.com is the best way to find good information. Yep. I think that, uh, I think that is the nugget of information out of this podcast is that people shop on Amazon. I think if people don't get anything people, else from it, holy. <laughs> <laughs> right. they do. It's, it's the, it's the Google of shopping. That's right. And 
it's a weird world we live in. I get I get a package a day, I think, from uh, from Amazon if, if like if I'm being completely honest. But uh, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. my wife gets a package a day. I get a package a month. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. To be fair, my, the my, the balance of mine at home might be about the same, but mine usually costs more. But uh, but John, before we get well, out well, of that's here, fair. that's fair. That's dollar to dollar. <laughs> yeah. <too>. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, John, before we get going, do you have any last thoughts or anything you'd like to add before we get out of here? Yeah. Um, so for all the listeners, um, hopefully you're encouraged to go check out mavenbuilt.com. And once you decide on the binos or the spotter of choice or your swag, the gear uh, to get in behind the brand, be sure to use code mulligan-gift at checkout. Um, you will receive a free gift with your purchase from Maven that'll come directly to you. Uh, also, if you are in the area of Cambridge, Ohio, uh, this year, August 2nd and 3rd, the Deerassic Classic, phenomenal trade show, uh, outdoor, they call it a giveaway and outdoor expo. Um, they do a phenomenal job of promoting the show. There's a ton of giveaways, a ton of raffles going on. And it's just a general good time. I will be representing Maven um, at the Maven Optics booth uh, those two days, be camping out there with a lot of other cool brands, Prime Energy, I'm sorry, Prime Archery, uh, Exodus will be there, uh, the fellas from Become One, and just a lot of good people that are going to be there at that show. So if you get a chance to swing by the Jurassic Classic, or if you've been there, you know it's an awesome show. This will be Maven's first year there, and I'll be there in the booth uh, selling selling binos and spotters there on site right at the show. And then you also get the pleasure of seeing one John Mulligan in, per- in person. So who could, who could beat that? Which is, a, which is always a joy. It, worth the it's pr- always a joy. Worth the price yeah, and, of admission. Yeah. And the first person that comes <laughs> to, i tell you what, we're going to make this announcement right now. The first person that comes up to the Maven booth and refers to me as Maven. <laughs> I'm going in. I'm going in halves with you on a pair of C ones. There you go. There you go. Boom. <laughs> Love it. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. John, oh man, the Maven Mulligan. John, the Maven oh. Mulligan. <laughs> What's the man. date of the Jurassic Classic again? What's the date? It's August second and third. Oh, first um, weekend in August. Okay. Yeah, first weekend in August. Um, and you know, while I'm there, I'll be going. Uh, I'll be doing a ton of Instagram stories. Uh, from my personal Instagram as well, um, making sure that we uh, we get some people there, and it should be a really good good time. I'm looking forward to it. Well, I'm hoping it I get to like make a heck of a show. Yeah, I'm hoping yeah. I can make it out. I've been wanting to make it out. You know, I was talking to Chad and those guys about possibly coming out this year. So I just have to see what my uh, what my calendar looks like and if I can break away from the uh, from the homestead for a couple of days because it looks like a blast. I hope I'm able to make it. If not, I hope you guys have a blast. Call John Maven. Get him to go have these with you on a pair of C ones. Mike, <laughs> thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. We're gonna My have to pleasure. have you have to have you back on again sometime to talk. Maybe during hunting Anytime. season. See how uh, yeah. see see if the see if the uh, elk have more bone this year since it's been wet. But I appreciate you coming on, buddy. Yeah. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank Mike for joining us, and would like to also thank all of you for listening. If you haven't yet. Please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before we shut this thing down, I do need to give a big shout-out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, 
Obsession Bows, Ramcap Broadheads, Trophy Taker Rests, and Dead Down Wind. And until next time, we'll see y'all. November's on my heels Makes me proud Makes me All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.